um, but today is my turn to play with paradox. That's our theme for this month. Oh, yay. <laughs> I know a Reverend Patty was, said it was more like wrestling with paradox. <laughs> and I have to agree, it is a very challenging topic. But um, I think we can have some fun with it today by, um, well, finding the third way. That's uh, the title of my talk. So are you guys with me? Should we do this? Yeah, let's do this. Okay. So, of course, we begin with the definition, right? You know, Mr. Webster. But um, actually, it's paradox is basically a statement with two seemingly seemingly contradictory ideas that challenge our conventional way of thinking, but may prove to be true. Okay. So last week, Reverend Patty gave several examples of the paradoxes that we find in our life. Here's my favorite. The only constant is change. <sighs> right? <laughs> Two seemingly contradictory ideas, but when held together, challenge our usual way of thinking, but are also true. Right? There we have it. You know, paradoxes are, are kind of like, I don't know, brain teasers, you know, mind benders, maybe. It reminds me of a fun quote by the writer uh, Joseph Campbell. He says this, he says, life is like arriving late for a movie, having to figure out what's going on without bothering everybody with a lot of questions, and then being unexpectedly called away before you find out how it ends. <laughs> if that's life, that's also paradox, okay? Paradoxes are like that. It's like walking into the middle of something that you thought you knew about, only to suddenly see it from a completely different perspective. Surprise, right? <laughs> and paradoxes are actually a very fascinating lens to look through because they force us to open up to viewing the world from different angles, maybe nuances, right? A little bit more nuanced, um, uh, multiple viewpoints. And that's also why they can be so challenging, right? And to be honest, frustrating. I mean, take the example of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Okay, wait, is he your enemy or is he your friend? How can he be both? You know, frustrating, you know. But the frustration is because our minds, our brains love simplicity. The simplicity of the black and white choice, right? This or that, true or false, right or wrong. And, and simple can be useful and, and helpful in the day-to-day -day world sometimes, right? I'm thinking about Michael and I, you know, traveling, we, we just went to uh, England, and how important those city maps were <laughs> that we cling to as we were going through different towns. You know, I mean, the map is simple because it shows only what we need to know, you know, how to get from here to there. But actually walking on the street, well, there are many other aspects to take into account, right? You know, like traffic, cars, going in 
the wrong direction <laughs> in England, um, pedestrians and, and cobblestones walkways, you know, all of that. So the map may be simple, but the world is pretty complex, right? We live in this constant negotiation between the simplicity and the complexity of the, of the world as we walk through life. We strive, we strive for certainty, for clarity, a firm choice, right? The simplicity of either or, this or that. Because there's a real discomfort in the muddiness, the muddiness of not knowing, the, the shades of gray, right? So, so, we make a choice, right? We take a stand, we declare, this is what's right, and there's, you know, really, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Claiming our beliefs, following our, our values, all good. The problem, of course, comes when we become so invested in our view that we feel we have to defend it to the death, right? This is it. This is it. And when we do that, when we're clinging to just one perspective and holding it as the one and only, well, that's when it becomes an issue, right? That's when wars start. Wars between countries, wars between each other, even. And, you know, there's just no growth in that place. Because in that place, we're totally resistant to change. And, and it stops us from even imagining, even imagining that there might be another view, even imagining that, that there could be new possibilities. You know, holding those rigid beliefs protects us. It's, it's definitely, you know, our defense, but it also limits us to this either or dualistic world. And I often wonder if society has become so committed to choosing this simplistic either-or mindset that, that we miss or even ignore some of the solutions that may exist out there. And, you know, it does drive us to war, as we see in the Middle East and Israel and Palestine right now. You know, there's so much pain and suffering and, and death and destruction on both sides, on both sides. However, however, I do see a rising movement to shift out of the black and white mindset, to open to new thinking and to embrace new possibilities and you know, that's all about, about embracing paradox. There's that word again, right? Because <laughs> when we choose that mindset, we open ourselves to the idea that there's not always one right answer. We expand our view to consider that there may be several ideas and perspectives. And hey, maybe they can coexist. And even complement each other sometimes. In, in this mindset, we can hold multiple, even opposing ideas simultaneously. 
and, and then sink into a feeling of, of acceptance and equanimity around it, right? Do you feel that openness? It's just more open. And that's the place where we can see the wholeness, the wholeness that's inherent in all things, the wholeness that is the quality of God that is within and without everything. When we look through the lens of paradox, now, now there's room for creative insights and new solutions. And that's where we find the third way. Yay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I have to say, you know, this is not a new concept to science of mind. So to any of you, right? I mean, it's inherently baked into the religious science philosophy. Ernest Holmes always stressed the importance of remaining open at the top, right? Always open to spirit, moving forever into a greater and greater expression of itself. But that can only happen when we let go of the either-or way of thinking and, and embrace the wholeness of life. As he wrote in, in Love and Law, now we must open the doors of our consciousness and expand and expand and expand and no longer think in terms of the backyard lot, but in the terms of the infinite nature, in terms of the universe, right? I mean, that's how big the third way can be. And our teaching really cultivates that um, inclusive mind, right? I mean, think about it. We believe in oneness and peace, as James so beautifully pointed out, even as we're recognizing the suffering and the struggle and the conflicts of the world. We believe in the infinite and the finite, that they're one and the same, that our mind is an individualized expression of the divine mind. And those beliefs require holding two seemingly contradictory ideas at the same time, and they also see past them to the spiritual truth, because right? that's where that lives. Ernest Holmes again, in this time from Freedom from Stress, he says, we need to develop a good-natured flexibility. Nature demands this. For if the tree did not bend before the wind, it would break. We are apt to hold our, our thoughts so static that it finally becomes a habit which destroys not only our mental happiness, but our spiritual influx. Right? We need to develop and continue to develop our flexibility. Nature is nothing if not flexible, right? Even the trees know how to bend and adjust and cooperate with their environment. And the truth is that spirit can't move if we're stuck in the polarities, in that static thought, as, as Holmes puts it. There's no room for movement. There's no room for new ideas. But when we can expand our lens to include the complexity of the paradox, well, that's when spiritual influx can happen, right? That's when spirit can move and be and have its being as us. 
I've been working with a book uh, by Sean Ginwright. It's called uh, The Four Pivots, Reimagining Justice, Reimagining Ourselves. By the way, I'm starting leading a, uh, a, a book study on that starting next week. Yeah, it's a great book. I hope you all can join me. But anyway, so what he says, he, he talks about the first pivot, which is all about awareness. And he says it's requi it requires shifting from our usual lens that's solely focused on what's happening out there to the mirror that's reflecting what's happening in here. Okay? The lens in the mirror. He says instead of viewing the world through a thick lens as analysts of spiritual pro or of social problems, we must view it as a mirror of ourselves. Right? He says see the world as a mirror of ourselves. This involves the practice of self-reflection and exploration of who we are as individuals and how we contribute to the world that we wish to create. Right? That's the movement. So that mirror work or, or self-reflection that he advocates, it helps develop our view of the world as an interconnected whole. Interconnected whole, not as like individual cogs in some great machine. He says in order to be able to pivot from the lens to the mirror and back and forth, that's what we need to do in order to see more clearly that interconnection, our connection with everyone and everything around us. So he's a soul-searching in introspection and key keen social analysis. Both, both are necessary. He, he gives this example of just that simple question, well, what do you want? What do you want? I mean, it's simple, right? But it's a hard one to answer, mostly because we use the lens and not the mirror to answer it, right? The lens answers with external things. What do I want? I want more money. What do I want? I want, I want a better job. Right? Out there. But he says, looking through the mirror of self-reflection, we find a, a deeper desire. Right? What I want, I want peace. I want happiness. Right? That deeper, that deeper peace. He says, when we hold up the mirror, we can then reflect and ponder and explore and, and wrestle with what really matters to us. And that results in a greater integrated clarity. He describes it this way. It's the type of clarity that comes from seeing with your eyes and your heart. Outward observation and inward reflection at the same time. Lens and mirror. Clarity that is felt deep down in your bones and cuts through any confusing chatter, doubt, or worry. And that outward and inward movement, well, it's just yet another example of paradox, really. And like all the ones that we've considered, it only resolves when it combines head and heart. That creates the third way. And fortunately, 
for us, we have many tools in order to make that shift. You'll probably recognize this list from your own experience, right? Tools like meditation, like affirmative prayer, journaling, walking in nature, right? There are many ways to connect head and heart. And each of them, they help us to remember and then embrace the wholeness, the wholeness that lives, that lives below the, the black and white, the either-or judgments, right? I think of wholeness like the ocean floor. Right? And it takes me back to watching the ocean and the waves on our cruise, right? And I think of my judgments as just little bubbles that are just bobbing along on those waves. And when I can move into the ocean of compassion that's in my heart, when I can move to my heart, right, those little bubbles just dissolve, just pop, poof, gone. Because right? compassion opens my heart, opens my view to the larger horizon that's out there. I can more clearly see and appreciate that others are different and may have a different and yet valid way of seeing things and, and living in their reality, right? Compassion enables me to let go of the, the rigid expectations about how things should be. I don't know, maybe you go there too should be like this. But instead, it moves me out into other person, you know, the, the, the possibilities that are out there. And it's only then that I can move into the, the transformative place of curiosity. Curiosity comes from the heart. Being in a state of curiosity, open to wonder, brings new and, and deeper questions but it also invites innovative answers to emerge. Mary O'Malley writes in What's in the Way is the Way. Asking the question signals to life that you're ready to live the answer. And then life lives it through you at the appropriate time. Right? I love that. I love that. Just asking the question signals to life, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for change. I'm, uh, I'm ready for newness. Right? I'm ready to live the answer. And that's what opens the door to the third way. There we are, back at that. Yeah. So hang in there. I've got one more example to share. It's in the form of a story by uh, Jack Cornfield from his book, uh, A Path with Heart. It's a traditional story called The Poison Tree, and I just think it beautifully illustrates the uh, concepts we've been talking about. So there once was a tree whose fruit was poisoned to anyone who ate it. And some people in the village said, well, it just needs to be cut down in order to keep the community safe, right? We'll just cut it down. Others didn't want to kill the tree. They pointed out that it really was quite beautiful when it flowered, and it was a great nesting spot for the local birds. 
And so they suggested building a fence around the tree instead, and just to warn and remind the villagers, don't eat the fruit, right? It's poison. But then there's a third group who happen to be scientists. Patty, you'll love this. They saw the fruit from a totally different perspective. They gathered up the poison produce and took it to their lab where they analyzed its unique properties, mixed it with some other ingredients, and they developed a medicine that healed the sick and transformed the ills of the world. Whoa. I love that story. I love that story. And on so many levels, of course, right? First, there's the villagers who just wanted to cut down the tree. You know, we could say they're living in that simplistic either-or mentality, right? They see only danger, they react with fear, the tree is bad, we need to get rid of it to protect ourselves. So that's that group. And then there's a group that wants to keep the tree but put a fence around it. And we could say that they're viewing the issue through the lens of paradox right? Because they could see a bigger picture. They recognized the potential danger, but they also saw the value of the tree. They had compassion, right? compassion for the tree and the birds that it sheltered, rather than judgment and fear. They were able to hold two conflicting views, right? The need for safety and the essential quality of beauty in life, and in that holding, they were able to arrive at, at a solution that honored both values, right? Good for them. And then there's the third group, the scientists. And we could say they are an example of finding a third way, right? Because unlike the others, they didn't see the poison fruit as a problem. They saw it as an opportunity, right? Their curiosity, which is built on respect and wisdom, led to the great healing of the world, right? So what a great example of being open at the top. Yeah. As Ernest Holmes writes in this thing called you, keep the doorway of your mind open. Feeling, thinking, communing with this life Know that it fills you with light and with power. Right? Keeping the doorway open means embracing many of those inevitable paradoxes of life. Right? Because that's the only way we can create a world that works for everyone. It's up to each one of us to cultivate the paradox mindset. And that means being willing to let go of some of those harsh judgments, right? The limited either-or ways of thinking. To, to shine up our lens and our mirror. To reflect and ponder and explore and wrestle with what matters to us. And to use all the tools that are at our disposal, right? To move into our hearts and float in that ocean of compassion. To expand our, our view to hold the bigger picture with its competing and sometimes conflicting values. And most of all, to be curious, 
just curious, willing, willing to be filled with wonder, to, to allow the imaginings, right? To welcome the possibilities. That's the recipe for finding a third way. And that's the recipe for healing the world. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. At Vision, a center for spiritual living, we transform lives through practical spirituality. Please donate to Vision by visiting our website, visioncsl.org, or text to 619-505-3359.